Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Welcome to I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We're on the air to help you understand that your workplace, it's your mission field. And the work that you do each and every day is a gift from God and that God wants to join you in that work today. We're your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg, and we're super glad you're with us. We really are. So um, one of the things that I just love um, and I just want to say to our listeners is thank you for calling in, leaving messages, um, responding when we offer books and uh, just connecting with us because it really means a lot when we just know that they're, you're out there because it's really hard for us to know did you otherwise. Did like that? You I did. I did. Okay. And I can. I can get away with that. Yes, so I just want to thank you listeners for those that have called in recently and, and or texted texted that's hard to say when you're saying it but um you know it's, i've had some great conversations with listeners just with where god has them in their work and um how he's working in their hearts and so just thank you for that and keep it up speaking about calling in we open up the phone lines if, well it's open all the time the listener line i work for him listener lines available 24 7 365 but in 2020 it'll be available 24 7 366 the line number is 866-713-96 675-866-713-WORK. We'd love for you to call in and ask questions about your workplace on, on how you can put your workplace, your faith into work in your workplace. And what's it look like? Maybe you've got a question on specific, a specific situation. And we got a couple we're going to deal with today. But how do I live out my work and live out my faith and my work. And I'm having a hard time getting that out today, but that's why the listener This is line... really very simple. Just call 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. Leave us a message. Let us know a question you might have, a comment that you have, something that God's working on in your own life, and um, and we'd love to share that with our listeners. Absolutely. We've got another question from a listener who wrote the question in. No problem. All right. One of my co workers always interrupts me and co-ops my ideas in meetings. What in the world do I do with this? Mm. You know, conflicts with co-workers are always a challenge. We're going to have conflicts. Even though we're Jesus followers, we're going to have conflicts. Well, yeah, because, and this actually goes beyond conflicts. It's kind of like that, you know, social etiquette, um, powerhouse, you know, conversation, climbing the ladder. Who knows if these ideas that are kind of getting um, taken over, whether they are ideas that are supposed to lead to promotions or more sales or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, those are hard um, things to know how to handle properly because more than likely, well, but more than likely you have to work with these people in an ongoing way. So how do you communicate your frustration and your need for integrity in this situation and still, you know, have a good civil work environment. So, so let's provide a solution. Oh, I, because, thought you're, I thought you're going to be really funny and like try to interrupt me because that's no, the first part of it. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to try to do that. All right. So, you know, in my, my opinion, so this is Jim talking because this is probably me that does this more often because I interrupt people because I get so excited with ideas that mm-hmm. are in my head. The first thing to do is to go to the person and say, listen, Jim, did you know that you interrupt me in meetings all the time? Um, and then a lot of times I have an idea and you kind of like take my idea and make it like yours. It really hurts my feelings. Um, 
can we talk about that? I mean, you try it the nice way first. Most uh, definitely. And then the second time they keep doing it, blow their chair up. Oh, yeah. I'm kidding. I don't Seriously. think that's the no, right no, answer. No. But, you know, but first, talk to them really, really nicely. And the next time, maybe really draw attention to it uh you know maybe take a short video of it during your next meeting and again so say maybe you could figure out what it was the first time here this is what i was talking about can we work Mm -hmm. on this because this is really frustrating me i mean a lot of times people like that just need words of affirmation and they're 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 the need to feel wanted yeah you know i think you're exactly right that we need to find out what it is that they're struggling with because maybe it's they they need to feel wanted maybe they don't feel like they're being heard and that they need to be the the biggest person in the room um who knows what it is but trying to find out what it is that's lacking or that's causing that behavior if you can i mean we're not all analysts or whatever but it's you know it's just being a good coworker and having those conversations jim we're always going to have people in our lives that frustrate us because if we didn't our humility would disappear and our pride would explode we need people like this in our lives to keep us humble so really important to understand let's talk about the marriage retreat cruise that we're doing in February because we're super excited about that. And it's just now time to get people started. Right now the kids are back in school. They can start thinking about winter. Yes. So now is a great time to start planning out what you're going to do. I'm sure a lot of people plan out what they're doing the rest of the school year. They know what the schedules are. They know what sports their kids are going to be in, whatever it might be. And end of February, beginning of March, we have a long weekend getaway for married couples to, it's called Cruise Your Way to a Better Marriage. And this is just a fun opportunity to get away with 20, 25 other couples on a ship. No, we don't have the whole ship to ourselves, but we have a great um, group. We have a room that we meet in. We have some sessions. We um, just really get to strengthen our marriages. And that is coming up February 26th. 7th through March 2nd. They can find all that information. You all can find that information on iworkforhim.com on our events page. You'll see all the information regarding the cruise and a link to go look at the boat to find out the itinerary and to ultimately register. So we would love for you to join us. Consider it. Yeah, and we've got listeners. We've had listeners from all over the country come and join us uh, on this. And so we try to keep it as reasonable as possible. The retreat itself is, is literally only 150 The rest of it is all the cruise, but you get five days of being pampered. Somebody else does your laundry. Somebody else does your, your, your putting, making your bed. Somebody else does all the cooking Cooking and cleaning. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing time. And then you work on your marriage, no kids, no internet, no cell phone. You get to work on your marriage with your spouse. And we just do that as a, as a courtesy. It's good for us and it's good for you. Um, and so check it out online on iworkforhim.com under our events tab. And Martha, speaking of other events, we've got another event in October. We do, Jim. So right we, here in Tampa We Bay. are doing a local land marriage retreat, um, just an afternoon evening in Tampa, North Tampa, Dade City, um, October 5th. So check your calendar. Um, that event registration should be live on our website later today. Actually, it's probably already live now because I've been working on it and I'm, um, I'm getting everything 
getting tweaked a little bit, so I've been checking it out. But you can go there and register. It's only $25 per couple. It'll be an afternoon of some marriage sessions to strengthen your marriage, dinner, s'mores in the dark, and um, that will be a lot of fun. So, and so for our local friends, this is a great opportunity for you to bring some other couples with you, make it an adventure, and um, you know, bring a carload, have some, That's have right. a good we time. We can accommodate up to a hundred people for for it. So it'll be fantastic. Now, why does I work for him? Do marriage retreats? Hmm. Here's the deal. As Christ followers, our marriages are supposed to be a light to the community. But our marriages need work just like anybody else's marriages needs work. And so if your marriage is a mess, when you go to work, people know because it impacts everything you do. So we want to work on marriages because we need to work on our own. And we want to help others just to learn from the things we've made mistakes from and found great resources that we've done radio shows and met incredible people. We just want to share it because strong marriages build strong families, strong families build strong body, the body of Christ, strong churches and strong churches build strong communities, strong communities build a great country. And yeah, Martha's shaking I'm sure her head. they got all that. Really? Well, As here's the bottom line. <laughs> Go to iworkrim.com, click on the events tab, sign up today for our October 5th Dade City retreat. You know, and I just want to say, you keep saying the word work on your marriage, but it, this is really just about strengthening it. You work out every day, maybe. So this is an opportunity to strengthen your marriage. Super excited to have you listen to I Work For Him today. Martha, how can they get in touch with us online? Online, they can go to iworkforhim.com. So that is our website, and we have a contact page. So if that is your preferred method, please don't do it while you're driving. But later on, or if you're at a, a stop, or you are somewhere other than driving your vehicle, um, iworkforhim.com is our website, Jim. And, um, you know, it's just all about connections. And we have a lot of resources and things available to people. They just have to take that initiative and get out there on the website. Absolutely. So today we're going to go in a couple of different directions, living out our faith in public school as a music educator, and then switching over to learning how to defend our faith, and finally to the arts, writing science fiction books. Sounds like a lot, but Keith Robinson is the one man who's living the dream by living out his faith as a public school music teacher who writes apologetic science fiction. Wow. Arts and education. Two places the body of Christ has shied away from but two places where the truth of Jesus desperately needs to permeate these mountains of influence in our culture. Keith Robinson ties this all together for us right here in I Work For Him. Keith Robinson, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's an honor. Yeah, Martha and I are super excited to have you, Keith. And we do this with every guest. Tell us, tell us how did you become a Jesus follower? Uh, well, uh, I was raised in a Christian home, um, but it wasn't really until I was a junior in college that uh, that I really gave Jesus lordship of my life. Now, again, I was raised in a Christian home, so I had a good moral upbringing. Um, but you know, things happened in high school and in college, and and it, it really I came to a, a crisis point, or I came to a point where I was uh, attending a uh, Bible study at, at school, and um, the, the man running the Bible study, he said, um, what are your priorities like? How, where is Jesus in your priority list? And I really got to realizing that he was, he was four or five on the list at, you know, my school and 
and other things were taking precedent. And so I decided at that point, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to make him first in my life because I had a foundation that I knew that he should be first. And so then I, at that point, I kind of made a decision to, you know, let him sit in the driver's seat, so to speak, and that I would, uh, I would uh, just follow wherever he leads. So. Mm. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, a lot of people know that in college, it's a it's a critical time to be making some of those decisions and really knowing where your faith comes from. And um, I'm sure that you're very thankful that that happened in your own life. So absolutely. In order for us to get up to speed on what you do in your day to day, um, were you studying to be a teacher in college? I was. Um, I when I when I was younger, I showed an affinity for music, and I just I really loved the sound of string instruments. And uh, I know don't don't hold this against me, but I ended up choosing the viola, not the violin. For those who who might mm-hmm. not be sure of what the difference is, the viola is the alto instrument, whereas the violin is the soprano, and so it's played the same way. It's under your chin, but the viola is a little bit larger and has a deeper sound. So, and there's a lot of bad viola jokes out there that pick on violas. So, I'm just saying, a lot of people. <laughs> it has. Well, the national director from the viola club just called and was really offended by your comments. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying what the general perception is. I'm not yes. saying it's true. So, okay. But anyway, right. so um, so I started playing viola when I was younger, um, second, originally in second grade, and then later we moved to a school system that started in fourth grade. And um, so as I was in high school, I really was wanting to be a professional violist. And I, I, uh, I actually auditioned for a school that I ended up attending, which was Northern Illinois University, but I was told I wasn't good enough to be a professional, that I just didn't have the core skills I needed. And my parents convinced me to go into education instead, and it was one of the best decisions I'd ever made because I realized shortly after uh, getting involved in the education side of things that it really was what I wanted to do and what I found that I was good at was teaching the younger students how to play instruments and things like that. And uh, so I went into music education Mm -hmm. and and shortly after college, I became a general music teacher for a few years until I found uh, an orchestral position. And so that's kind of where I went from there. And and then uh, the, the beautiful thing is that as a teacher, I am a professional violist and I play in professional symphonies, but it's not my day job and I don't have to rely on traveling all over the place to play in different orchestras to make uh, make ends meet. I have a day job right. and I get to play in orchestras for fun, which is great. <laughs> That's awesome. So talk to us about your public school mission field. What's it? We know that public school, I mean, first of all, public schools get a bad rap, but we know there's amazing teachers across the country who love Jesus, who are planted on the mission field of the public school. What's your mission field like? Well, and I I absolutely love the way you said that, because that is the truth, that um, first of all, the vast majority of teachers that I know are just the, the... the best, the most wonderful people you'd ever meet. Now, many of them are Christians um, in the public schools, but there are many that are not Christians, but they are still just wonderful, wonderful people. And um, it, I, I've really enjoyed, first of all, I really enjoy the fact that I'm a music teacher. I don't know that I would make it as a <laughs> classroom, regular mm. yeah, education teacher. Um, there's just the, the kids nowadays are so hard to 
to uh, work with and just their home lives and just things mm-hmm. like that. But, um, but yeah, so there's so many wonderful, wonderful people in the public schools, and many of them are Christians, and even those that are not are... And they're very intelligent people because they're the teachers. And so they are, they understand, I think, a little bit better about how to have dialogue and to discuss things, um, even if you disagree on issues. Um, even recently, I've started befriending many of these teachers that I work with on Facebook. And that has actually revealed a lot to me about what they believe and things like that. And some of them, um, we are completely opposite politically and religiously and things like that, but uh, they are still willing to have conversations with me, and I, mm. I, I've actually feel a calling to have some of these conversations with them um, on Facebook, because it is very difficult to have those kind of deep conversations at school, at, at school. work. So, um, Keith, too much Keith I want to so. bring up the fact that, you know, when Jim asked you this, the question about your mission field in the public school, I love that you went to who your co-workers are, because a lot of people think about just the students, the, the teacher-student mm-hmm. relationship. And you are seeing very specifically you know, a role there within your peer group and with the other teachers. I know for, um, for me, my music teacher, actually all growing up, I have several of them in my life that have been very special to me. Um, and I am curious, as a public school music teacher, how are you able to live out your faith in your work? Yeah, now see that's, I'm glad you mentioned that too because um, it is a whole other ball game. I cannot. It, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to really discuss any kind of. Um, you know, there's no. You can't really witness to your students. That's not. <laughs> you mm-hmm. won't be in your job for very long if you do that. Now, I was a high school teacher for ten years. And uh, right now I'm currently teaching elementary and middle school orchestra. Um, But when I was at the high school, I did get into some discussions with students just about topics. And one of the things I always told them is, don't just believe what you're told. Do some research on it. Um, Do do your own research. Don't just believe what other people tell you. You have to ask questions. and, And I would try to get them to at least think through some of the heavier issues of life. You know, what do you believe is going to happen when you die? I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm just saying this is a question that you should consider. That it's, and frankly, it's the, one of the most important questions you can ask in life is what do you believe is going to happen when you die? And how you answer that question is going to determine how you live your life. Mm. And so I would use questions like that to get the students to think about these issues. Now that I'm uh, more middle school and elementary, um, I really feel like it's my my example yeah that is going to to make the most impact and i believe i am making that impact on them because i am someone that they know they can trust that i'm someone who will never treat them disrespectfully because that's part of who i am Mm -hmm. that's my calling um i go by the motto of uh there's never a good reason to be unkind to someone you can be angry you can be upset but there's not a good reason to be unkind and so I, I, I tell that to them. I try to give them um, lots of those kind of quotes and That's to try good. to make that impact um, on them as, as just where they see my character. That's what I guess I would say. We're talking today with Keith Robinson. I'm not going to tell you which part of the country he's from because he's a public school music teacher and he's sharing his testimony. And in certain areas of the country, that could get him in trouble. So we're going to leave it as he's just a great writer and a public school music teacher keith 
music moves the soul. I mean, God designed music to move us. And we know that music is super influential in our society. How do you build in truth into your classroom as you teach music? How do you get a chance to build that in? Well, I think I would uh, kind of just piggyback off of what I was just saying before the break, and that is that um, just my character and my personality and just really trying to hold a high standard for my students of morality and of of care for each other. Um, the beautiful thing about music, especially orchestra, is that the students work as a team to create this beautiful music. And so there is a sense of family in the group that uh, everyone is important, everyone's part of the whole. And um, so I just, I try to play off that. Again, I try to bring up as much as possible general quotes or general, um, like I said in the last segment, you know, uh, statements of truth, um, such as there's never a good reason to be unkind, um, trying to talk to them about, you know, the value of doing hard work to achieve a skill and to achieve a goal and that we can use our talents and abilities to bring joy to others uh, through playing beautiful music. And so we talk about all that, you know, and it's, it's more of sprinkling. It's very similar to what I do with my novels, actually. I'm sprinkling truth into the course of the, the day-to-day classroom activities. Now, when you choose the music that they play, do you choose some of those old great hymns that are often played by orchestras that have incredible messages? Do you get to choose music that maybe you're only learning the music, but if they went and sought out the song, they could read the words? Um, not as much. There was one time when I was at the high school level, I was also doing band in addition to orchestra, and there's a great piece called On a Hymn, on a hymn song of Philip Bliss, I believe is the title of the band composition. And it was really, it was a band arrangement. Philip Bliss was the um, composer of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Hmm. And so I, uh, we played, performed that piece. And of course, you can't perform that piece without then talking to the students about the hymn. And I told them the backstory, which I'm not sure if you know what the backstory is. It is well. Do you know the backstory? That it is well with my soul. I, I do know the backstory. To it is well with my soul. And I'd like today for us just to let people go out to Wikipedia and look that up because I got some more questions for you on the air. Sure, it's a phenomenal story. They should, it would be worth their time. So, all right. So let's talk about your writing. Because you're a gifted writer, too. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I work for him listeners. Here's how I know that. Well, so Keith and, and reached out to me. We, we got connected somehow on the Internet, on the galactic interweb, as we may call it. <laughs> and he, he goes, I, I love to write apologetic science fiction. I'm like, I love science fiction. In fact, when I donated my kidney last year, Keith, a neighbor of mine gave me $125 gift card to Christian book distributors so I could buy as much christian science fiction as i could on christian book distributors so and i was almost out of it when you sent stuff to me so i love it i read it all the time and so i can tell you that you're a gifted writer because i read 30 to 80 books a year and yours are good books so talk to me about when did you find out that you were a writer well that's an interesting story i'll try to give you the short version i was um after college, I was working as a, as a general music teacher, and uh, at my church, uh, I, I had a, a friend who was running the college and career group, and um, he had just be, got his license to become a pastor, and he asked me to be his music pastor. 
And so I agreed, and I, in addition to my day job teaching general music, I became a music pastor at a church. And um, then, as, as time went on, he asked me to run a Sunday school class teaching adults on apologetics. And so I started doing that, and of course, I'm learning as I go along, and I was just fascinated by some of the apologetic stuff I was learning about creation and evolution and that kind of thing. And so um, I, at the time, the Left Behind series was very popular, and I said, man, if somebody were to do with creation and evolution stuff what they did with the Left Behind series, which is mainly just taking their view of end times prophecy and putting it into sci-fi action adventure novels. I'm like, that would be a fascinating thing. And so I just, I got an idea to create kind of a what if story. If evolution were really true, what would it really look like? Because I don't think what we see on Earth is what it would look like. And so that was the germ, the starting point for Logic's End, which is my first novel. And I just tried my hand. I've been an avid reader my whole life. And I, like you said, um, I was... uh, I was into sci-fi and fantasy, you know, uh, into Star Wars and Star Trek and Narnia and Lord of the Rings and things like that. And Which is your favorite books, series? Wait a minute, you forgot to mention Matrix. You didn't yeah, put the Matrix, Matrix in there. Stargate, yeah, you know, all that stuff. Which one was your favorite series? I mean, which well, one? The original what? Star Wars, I think, the original trilogy really impacted me greatly because I was, you know, at the age where I got to see them in the theaters and I was young and it was just the most incredible thing I'd seen. Um, as I got older, of course, I got to appreciate Lord of the Rings much more and things like that. So, so talk to me about you and your latest book. You tie together your love of music and science fiction and apologetics. How? On God's green earth, did you put all three of those together in a book? <laughs> very, very carefully. <laughs> so, um, but with, I have two other series. I have my Origins Trilogy that's about creation and evolution, and then I have the Tartars Chronicles, which is a four-book series about world religions. Um, and as I was finishing up Tartars Chronicles, I had an idea. I just started realizing how the major scale of music actually kind of matches a, a principle about God in that, you know, the, in music, there's the last note of a song is usually the same note as the key that you're in. So if you're in C major, the last note is a C. And that's what's called the tonic. It is the foundation. It's the, 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 the home, home base, so to speak, of music. And I'm like, you know, in many ways, God is like our tonic. He's like the foundation of, the, you know, the, the foundation of the scale that everything else is built upon. And all of a sudden I started realizing that that would be a really cool foundation for a universe, for a world. Mm. And I started realizing that in ancient music, in the medieval times, the interval, which is the distance between two notes, the interval of a tritone, which would be like a C to an F sharp on the piano, it was called the devil's interval. And I'm like, whoa, what if the the bad guy, you know, this satanic figure or whatever, this devil figure would be based on the tritone and then God is the tonic. And next thing you know, I start getting this whole idea for a universe. Well, then I decided, well, I can't just, my passion is I don't want to just entertain with my novels. I want people to, when they're reading my books, to go, I never thought of that before, or give them something to think about or strengthen their faith through my novels. And so um, if you're creating another universe, like let's say Narnia, but even Narnia, he could do things with Narnia that you can't do with like Lord of the Rings, because in Narnia, the children were from Earth. And so he could refer to things from Earth. But in in, uh, Middle Earth, 
or in Star Wars, let's say, you know, I mean, there's no connection to Earth. Um, well, I guess Middle Earth, they kind of say it was, the, you know, medieval times or something. But you know what I'm saying? If it's another universe, if it's another galaxy like Star Wars, there's no connection to Earth. You can't really talk about Jesus, per se, in, in the Bible. So mm. I had to create a, Christian, uh, a Christian-like a Christian religion that was the equivalent of Christianity. And so anyway, so I, I, I talk about why does God allow suffering? Because that is one of the big questions that people ask, and right. that's something I can incorporate into another universe. So. so people can get your books if this is intriguing to them at all, or they know somebody who really has a love for reading science fiction um, and wants a new and fresh approach, they can go to apologeticsfiction.com. That's apologeticsfiction.com. And uh, there they can see all of the, the um, options that you have out there, right, Keith Robinson? Absolutely. Um, my books are also available on Amazon, but if you go to my website, it's kind of a one-stop shopping. So you right. have the, all of my books, all of my titles are right there. So. That's Another fabulous. free plug for Amazon right here, and I work for him. Okay. <laughs> but, but that's okay. okay, because it's it's ultimately we're promoting this opportunity for people to really that's right. use fiction in order to strengthen their faith. Apologeticsfiction.com. Apologeticsfiction.com. So... Apologetics. So I got to read the first of your trilogy, the first book of your trilogy, trilogy, ha, trilogy, the Origins trilogy, Logics, and I got to read that. And I'm halfway into the next one, which is something Pyramid. Um, the, Pyramid of it? the Ancients. Pyramid of the Ancients. I, you know, and in what I loved in Logics End, you tied into the story a conversation about religion, abortion, evolution, the flood. The dating of fossils, creations and a creator, moral authority and moral the moral code written in our hearts. And you did it in a story that was riveting to the absolute okay, maybe not the the post log, but <laughs> everything right up to that. I mean it was unbelievable. I mean, whatever gave you the idea that I mean, to do all that in one story. Well, honestly when I when I plot out my books uh, and I do plot out my books. There are some people that kind of let the plot unfold, but I, I use, I, I have to know what's going to be at the end um, <laughs> because of the apologetics, especially. So I kind of write two books simultaneously where I get a general idea for a plot. And then I do all my research and I figure out what main apologetics points do I want to put into the books. Um, and then I try mm. to figure out based on the, my generic plot, how could I best show this? Because uh, I, I try to do more showing if I can, instead of just telling. Because one of the right. big things, I, there are others out there who've tried to do similar things to what I've done with my books, and some of them are uh, they're just not done well because they try to do a lot of telling instead of showing. And so um, that's one of the things that I try to do. I also try to sprinkle the apologetics into the storyline so it's not overwhelming. It's not like some of the books I've read that are like story, 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 apologetics for a couple of chapters, and then story, 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 story. Right, right. And I try and, to do right. a couple of pages of apologetics here and there. And again, it's there's and no it was so- it was woven 
expertly into the story. We're talking with Keith Robinson, and you can find out more about him online, apologeticsfiction.com, apologeticsfiction.com. He's a public school music teacher up there in the upper Midwest somewhere, and he's also a musician, and he plays in orchestras, and he writes, but he doesn't just write, he writes science fiction. He doesn't just write science fiction, he writes science fiction with apologetics built into the story not as a lecture but as a real lesson and he writes apologetics science fiction with music in it Mm -hmm. keith robinson it must be exhausting to be you (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes sometimes you know i was thinking about that when you were saying um that you plot out your books well if you're going to create a universe I would imagine there's a lot of plotting out that has to happen because, I mean, God has gifted you with the ability to think of things that, of course, the reader gets to enjoy but and, and benefit from, but you've, you do a lot of background to get to that point. So I'm excited that our listeners are getting to hear about this, Jim, and, and uh, maybe pick up a couple of his books at apologeticsfiction.com. So, Keith, here's a question. You're writing Christian fiction which all that means is that it's clean it's got purpose it's got meaning it's got truth interspersed in it uh, mm-hmm. it's science fiction otherworldly science fiction it's apologetics otherworldly science fiction with music in it at least your latest one does have, have you had a problem that's all you do i mean it's just a simple <laughs> little thing um is, is do you have, have you had a hard time getting mainstream publishers to grab onto you because you touch on all those things well, real quick, I want to comment on something Martha said. Um, you know, it, it took me about seven months to plan plan out just the the universe for uh, my newest novel, Prelude and Abduction, and uh, to do all the plotting for th- the whole trilogy and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it is very time-consuming. Um, so before I even wrote the first sentence of the first book, I spent seven months working on all that. So it was fun. Wow. So wait a minute. Now, um, are you married, Keith? I am, yes. Do you have kids? I have, um, between my wife and I, we have five teenagers right now. (laughs) We have have five kids. Um, We have a 23-year-old autistic daughter. um, And then um, my wife's oldest son is out of the house. So So you're busy. I think yeah, that well, honestly, now that they're teenagers, I have more time to write and everything because they're all working. So. <laughs> that's true. I just was like, how do you protect your family from your writing career? I mean, that's just, I mean, there's a lot going on there between writing and music. Okay, let, let's let's go back on to this. So, have you had a hard time getting a publisher to grab onto you and say, I love what you're doing? Well, yes and no. I mean, it's hard for anybody to get a publisher nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so hard to... It's kind of a catch-22. You have to uh, be published in order for a publisher to take a look at you. And so it's one of those things. Now, the the wonderful thing is the self-publishing world is really growing. And uh, I started off with um, partnership publishing, where I paid um, a publishing house to publish my first trilogy. And uh, it was quite expensive. Um, but I have made all my money back from that initial endeavor, and I learned so much from the first trilogy mm. that, uh, and even my second tr- the series was all uh, partnership publishing as well. But my newest novel, which I actually think is some of the best quality of my work, um, is all self-published. 
that I've, I've over the years, I've developed a team of people. I've got my editors, and I've got my my uh, layout person. I've got an absolutely phenomenal cover artist. And so uh, I can produce a, a great work of art, and I have the full control over everything. So it's kind of, at this point, I'm kind of the, other than the promotional aspect of it, I'm like, I don't, I don't kind of don't want a publisher. You know, it's so fun to see behind the curtain of what might go into um, this process and how very intentional you're being. So, Keith, one thing I want to bring up is um, I was in Christian retail for a decade and I loved selling fiction because I feel like it's such a great way to introduce people to um, new biblical ideas without them feeling like they're sitting down and learning. Um, So I want our listeners to hear from your heart how they could look at your books, um, either for themselves or for someone in their lives intentionally. What can they? What is your dream for people that pick up your book? And what can our listeners do to maybe you know help fulfill that? Uh, great question. Uh, I, I have I've been doing this now for. 12 years, my, my first one was published 12 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, in that time, I've had so many young people come up to me, and, and parents come up to me, because I saw a lot of, at homeschool conventions, and they have told me, uh, I've had a young man uh, just last month who told me, yeah, you're, I've read all of your books, he said, and um, your books have shaped my theology. And I've had so many young people tell me, oh, yeah, your books have really strengthened my faith. And and, uh, parents just come to me and they're like, we've read the books with our teenagers and with our Mm -hmm. children, and we've used them for family discussion times, and and there's so much meat in your books. Uh, But at the same time, they tell me, "My, my kids have read your books multiple times. They'll take the same book and read it over and over and find new things in it each time. And so it just is the kind of encouragement that keeps me going, that mm-hmm. that families out there are and young people are having their faith strengthened because they read my books. And that's, I, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just so honored to that God is using me for that purpose. But the books aren't just for teenagers, right? I mean, the, oh, I mean, I know that not. my husband yeah. is not a teenager. <laughs> what are you saying? She just called me old on the air. I can't believe you did that. No, I'm 53, but I've been reading science fiction since I had a librarian in sixth grade said, Jim, maybe you'd like reading science fiction. And she introduced me to a couple of science fiction writers back in the 70s, Ben Bova and a couple of others. And I'm like, I really like this. And I have then, of course, morphed into just loving all kinds of Christian fiction for the last 40 years. But really, I, I love the fact that you can teach without it feeling preachy. Yep. You know, look, right. for instance, for instance, in 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 origins excuse me in the origins trilogy logics and the first book rebecca is your she's the number one character in in this series mm-hmm. she makes this statement she wrestles with the non-value of life in the story and she just goes in she's saying this well she's kind of arguing in her own head life is but an accident a mix a mixing of uncaring impersonal unintelligent chemicals what's one lifetime when compared to the history of the universe life is worthless disposable power to the strong and intelligent and power to the strong and intelligent death to the weak and stupid but what she's really wrestling with is but that doesn't seem right one of the, the ways that I bring about a lot of this stuff is I try to show the cognitive dissonance 
within the evolutionary perspective and worldview is where they they want some of the morality that Christianity provides but they have no logical foundation or basis for that within their own worldview. And so I try to show that by having Rebecca wrestle with a lot of these issues that she comes across on this planet where supposedly evolution really happened. And so that's kind of the mechanism I use to to get the reader to think through some of these things. Have you done any discussion guides on your books? Yeah, actually, my first trilogy, the Origins Trilogy, um, I had a couple of homeschool moms help me to write some some um, discussion guides that are available on my website for free download. Excellent. Oh, that might a, be a wonderful thing. If people having a book club, this uh, might be a great way to a, take it a, to the next it's level. It's a great series. What I love best is your argument against evolution. Well, if evolution is really true, then life has no value because it happened by accident. So therefore, it makes sense to just kill even your own offspring because you don't mm. value anything in life. You don't wow. value anybody's life because it's just an accident. Mm. And and what a powerful statement because you'll find in today's uh, arguments, people like to argue both sides of that. And, and Keith, you did an excellent job addressing it. Okay, I want to I want to ask this last question. We got a lot of people listening who are writers, who are teachers, who are musicians. And yet a lot of them feel like, well, I just wish I could quit my job and go do something more significant in the kingdom. Keith, tell them what they're doing is significant. Oh, absolutely. Um, I can't. Again, I've been a public school teacher now for 20 years or more. I don't know the exact number, but um, I've had so many people come to me that the beauty of being a teacher is not necessarily the daily grind and, and just the constant interaction, but it's the years later when you talk to former students who, will, who come back and tell you the impact you had on their lives. And by our very examples, just what we do and say, and the, just the, the, we, the, showing Christ to these people, even though I can't witness to them, they know that there's something different there. They see it in my yep. actions and in my words. And um, many times as they get older, they'll come back and then when they talk to you, if they're adults later, then you can start talking to them and you can tell them about the hope that's within you. So it's it's just, it's my passion and calling and everything we do, no matter where God has you planted, there's so much that he can accomplish through just your example, even if you can't preach the gospel. Keith A. Robinson with ApologeticsFiction.com. Thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks for sharing your stories, your music, your teaching. Thank you for being on I Work For Him today. Yes. Again, it was my honor. Thank you so much for having me on. Please check out Keith online, apologeticsfiction.com. I recommend this highly. If you love to read and you love fiction, you are going to love these series, apologeticsfiction.com. And believe me, I read a lot, apologeticsfiction.com. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit iWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at iWorkForHim to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at iWorkForHim and online iWorkForHim.com. I work the number four, him.com.